Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast number 376 for March 18th, 2012. Defense shields have been penetrated. Enemy warships have entered Earth's solar system. Deploy the last wave of fighters. Taking heavy fire! Final warning. Prepare for thermal attack. Evacuate! Evacuate! Launch remaining escape craft! Without a planet, we're no longer a threat. Hey, it's me, it's Kale. Humans. <laughs> the Titan was the key to finding a new homeworld. Your father hid the Titan. He knew the dredge would come after him. The only way to find it is in your hand. Me? If Dredge wants you, only dead. How do you know they want me dead? I happen to be humanity's last great hope. I weep for the species. Welcome to the podcast. This is Jeff, Jedi Jeff on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums. And this week, I'm the guest host of Treks and Sci-Fi. Rico asked me if I would mind uh, guest hosting, and I agreed. And uh, this week, I chose to cover the um, movie from 2000, Titan AE. I'd like to thank Rico for giving me this uh, chance to uh, guest host a podcast again. I got to guest host or co-host last year twice in 2011, First up, I got to uh, co-host with Rick Moyer when we covered the uh, classic television series Galactica 80. I guess maybe some people might not view it as classic. I, I guess it's all up to how a person uh, views it. And then also later in the year, I got to co-host with Rico himself, and we uh, covered the original Tron movie from back in the 80s. And uh, that was a lot of fun to do. So um, I'm very appreciative that uh, Rico's uh, handed the microphone over to me again to uh, guest host another one of these uh, podcasts for him. And I'm really looking forward to it. So this week I'm going to cover the movie Titan AE. So I'm just kind of going to go over the movie, play some clips, uh, talk about it a bit. You know, maybe give a, a few little facts about it. Uh, depending on how long it goes, if I've got some time at the end of the podcast... Then I'm going to do a, a collectible review, not uh, related to this movie, but uh, something else. So um, again, uh, that's kind of my game plan for uh, this uh, podcast. Maybe without any further ado, I think I'll, I'll probably just jump right into the uh, into the main topic uh, right away. As I noted, I'm covering Titan A. This was an animated movie which came out in uh, the year 2000, so... I guess uh, we survived that whole uh, 2000 uh, scare with the, the computers and all that, and they were able to uh, produce this movie. Well, they are able to produce a lot of other things, but uh, this was a movie which came out in 2000, one that uh, 
I quite enjoyed quite a bit. Just a kind of a brief plot on this before I kind of dive into the movie a little bit more deeply. In 3028, Earth is destroyed by a race called the Dredge, who fear what humans can become because of the project called Titan. Fifteen years later, Kale, the son of the lead scientist of the Titan project, is recruited by Captain Corso to find the Titan and build a new Earth. So that's my kind of brief 20-second summary there of the movie. Uh, we'll get into it a, a lot more detail, but basically, like I said, it's an animated movie. It's kind of a, a movie, I think, uh, it was a mixture of kind of classic animation and digital animation. Uh, so so it kind of merged those those together. And I'll talk a little bit more after um, after I kind of go through the movie a, a bit more about the movie and how, how, how it kind of, kind of came to be and, uh, you know, kind of kind of what happened uh, all around this movie. Next thing, I think I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, who kind of made this movie. This movie was made by a gentleman named Don Bluth, who is um, kind of a well-known animator. Uh, he worked a lot at Disney and, and places like that. He worked on some uh, other movies like uh, The Secret of Nim, The Land Before Time. And he also um, worked on a couple video games as well. Um, one called Dragon's Lair and the other one called Space Ace. And if you're older like myself and in probably your late 30s or your 40s, you know, or, or a bit older, you probably remember both Dragon's Lair and, and Space Ace because they were kind of kind of the first um, animated style video games which kind of came out for, you know, the video games had that real kind of 16-bit type kind of graphics to them. But this these ones came out, they had an animated um, kind of style to them. And they, you know, kind of took you on this kind of story. Like the gameplay was, you're pretty rooted in, in going in a, a certain path. So I don't think there's a lot of options in the gameplay. But for the time when they came out, they're real visually stunning. And kind of looking at this movie, um, I can see a lot actually in both of those games that kind of come through in this movie. Um, more so probably Space Ace, um, you know, because it was a, a space-based uh, kind of cartoon uh, video game. And, and also to these games, I, I failed to mention too, um, uh, you know, they kind of originally came out um, just in arcades, so they're like ones where you had to plug in quarters and uh, and play. And once your your lives died, you had to plug in more quarters to to keep on playing. So so it was kind of cool. I, I, you know, I'm not a, a big uh, video game historian, so um, I'm not sure if these came out on consoles later. I think they did, but um, I'm I'm sure some of the the folks who uh, know video games a lot better than I probably can confirm that. And I guess probably let me know if I if I, I've said something wrong there. The movie was uh, written by a, a couple gentlemen named Hans Bauer and Randall McCormick. And, and the interesting thing is, is more so the, the screenplay. Uh, this one is actually kind of an interesting thing. Screenplay was uh, written by three gentlemen. The first one was a fellow named Ben Edlund, who's also worked on Firefly and Angel. He's, he's kind of done some writing and I think directing and producing. He also um, created the animated show The Tick. And then he's also um, recently, in the last few years, he he actually wrote an episode of the Clone Wars. Another fellow who uh, wrote wrote the the screenplay as well was a fellow named John August, and he worked on a screenplay for uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And the final person who uh, who worked on this movie, which I was actually pretty surprised, and this will probably be an interest to a lot of uh, folks who. Um, who listened to this podcast was that uh, Joss Whedon also uh, worked on the screenplay for this movie. So I don't think I need to go over Joss's work because I'm, I'm sure most people know what it is. But anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting. Now I'm going to go through the cast of this movie. And 
the main um, character is uh, is a fellow named Kale Tucker, and uh, he's this kind of twenty uh, year old kind of rebellious type guy, and he's the hero of this story. He's he's the guy who's going to, I guess, save Earth, or I guess find us a new Earth, I guess, and and save humanity. Uh, he's voiced by um, Matt Damon, and I think we all know Matt Damon. Uh, you know, he's been popular from like the Bourne movies. Uh, he was in the Ocean movies, the Ocean 12, Ocean 13 um, movies. And he was also a lot of other movies, uh, tons of movies. Um, like I said, I could list them, but uh, just going on on and on. So I, I those are just a couple I, I kind of picked as, as their kind of favorites of mine. The next um, kind of cast member is a lady named Akima Kunamoto. Kunamoto. I don't think they ever really say her last name, or if they did, they only said it once. She's the the pilot of the the ship in this uh, movie, and she's voiced by Drew Barrymore. And of course, we all know Drew Barrymore. She's been on E.T. and she was on Charlie's Angels, a lot of rom com movies. Uh, you know, she's been around for quite a while. So uh, you know, it's kind of uh, cool. Like when this movie originally came out, uh, you know that her, she was in this movie because. Uh, to me, she just never was really a, a big genre type person and then to actually voice it as well. And I think she did a really good job. The next kind of main character in this movie is a character called Joseph Corso. And he's the captain of the ship that uh, that they used to, to look and search for the Titan project. He's also was a kind of a friend of Kale's dad. Uh, he's voiced by a fellow named Bill Pullman and uh, Bill Pullman, uh, he's done some genre work before. I think uh, a lot of people know him as a Lone Star from Spaceballs. Uh, you know, so you know maybe I guess depending on how you see it, genre. I think Spaceballs genre. So uh, he he played that character. Lone Star was kind of a takeoff on Han Solo, and then uh, he was also the president in Independence Day. Then in the ship, they had a bunch of these um, different characters, um, you know, different uh, aliens. Um, all kind of quirky and, and interesting. And the first one was a, a character called Goon, which was uh, kind of the scientist on, on the ship. And, you know, he was in charge of kind of uh, all the science aspects and, and navigating. Kind of a smart guy. He's kind of a lizardy looking, kind of turtle looking type guy. And he was, uh, he was voiced by a, a fellow named John Leguizamo. And uh, John Leguizamo's uh, he's done a bit of uh, genre work, like he was in Die Hard 2, uh, Spawn, uh, that's probably a big one for him. He's also in uh, Super Mario Brothers, um, you know, from a few years ago, the live action one. So so he's, he's done some kind of interesting work. The next character is uh, a character named Preed, uh, which is this kind of this um, bat kind of wolf-like kind of creature and he's he's kind of the first mate to the captain captain corso and he's uh he's voiced by a fellow named nathan lane um i looked and uh, like say i'm not a big movie type buff guy like i i like them you know like all these genre movies but i'm not really big into a lot of you know more you know dramatic type movies and a lot so a lot of what he did wasn't very familiar to me but uh he's done a lot of voice work uh he was on the lion king movies and he also did some voice work for astro boy which i thought was interesting kind of the final kind of um main character i guess in this um movie was um was a character called stith and it was a this is kind of this kind of a weird character it's this kind of kangaroo like character um kind of a mouthy kind of uh very high strung type character it was a funny character but and it was the weapons specialist on the on the ship and it was played by a lady the voice or 
voiced, I guess I should say, voiced by a lady called uh, Janine Garfalo. I'm, I know I'm butchering her name, and I know her. I've like I've seen work her work before, so I'm a, I know of her. I just can't for whatever reason I can't seem to pronounce her name today. Anyways, uh, she was on a movie. Um, one of her genre movies was a movie called Mystery Man, which came out a few years ago. A few other uh, notables which were on the the cast for voice work was uh, Ron Perlman who uh, played Kale's dad, Sam Tucker, and then also Tone Loke, uh, who played an alien called Tech, who was an alien friend of uh, Kale's and his father's. So those are a couple other kind of um, high-profile names. Um, like, say, Ron Perlman, we all know him as he's been in, like, Beauty the Beast. He was on um, Star Trek Nemesis. He's been on a, just a ton of movies. Hellboy, he's Hellboy. You know, he, you know he's done a ton of genre work, um, Probably pretty well all he does nowadays is genre work. And then Tone Loka, he was a, a rapper from, uh, like, say, I guess the 80s and 90s. I, again, kind of an interesting guy, I guess, to have in the movie, but he probably had an interesting voice. So that's kind of my brief talk about the movie, you know, kind of just setting it up. And now I'm going to um, play a, another clip, an, another trailer here, and then uh, we'll get into kind of breaking down the the movie I'll, I'll play some clips and then just kind of talk in between the clips and uh, and talk about the movie and the plot beyond our galaxy lie worlds no one has ever seen whoa and a threat no one could imagine we're taking heavy fire we've got to get out of here two people face the ultimate challenge you can't beat the dredge no, we're going to stop them. As they take off on the wildest ride of the summer. Titan After Earth. Rated PG. The first clip I'm going to start with is the opening scene uh, from the movie. I feel it really sets up just the whole movie. A little bit of backstory on Kale, which is our kind of our lead uh, hero or lead character in this movie. And then it, it kind of rolls into... Um, the main villain, which is a, a species known as the Dredge, who come and basically attack Earth and uh, basically destroy it. Once in a great while, mankind unlocks a secret so profound that our future is altered forever. Fire. Electricity. Splitting the atom. At the dawn of the 31st century, we unlocked another. It had the potential to change humanity's role in the universe. We called it the Titan Project, and it was a testament to the limitless power of the human imagination. Perhaps that is what the Dredge feared most, for... It brought them down upon us without warning and without mercy. Kale, that day, the day the dredge descended from the sky, the only thing that mattered was keeping you safe. I'm 
Okay. Dad, my invention broke. Well, then we'll fix it together. But not today, Kim. We have to go now. Somewhere safe. Professor Tucker! Professor Tucker! The Trajan breached the global defense system! Come on, son. Will we get the people away in time? Not if we sit here talking, sir. I want to drive. When you're older, kid. I'm older than four. <laughs> Hang on. So that was the opening scene from from the movie. It kind of, like I said, you know, talked a little bit about the moments before Earth was destroyed and about Kale and his father and how his father had to go and and save the Titan and how the Dredge had come and they had attacked Earth and destroyed it. It was very reminiscent um, to um, Star Wars for me in kind of similarity that the Dredge came and they destroyed all of Earth. This was kind of similar to the Death Star in destroying Alderaan. Uh, so I'm probably thinking they probably got a little bit of inspiration from Star Wars when they um, when they did this this movie. Uh, it's got a lot of kind of uh, Star Wars kind of feel to it throughout it. Also, too, uh, it also reminded me a little bit of Enterprise when the, the Zindi attacked. Um, you know, same kind of thing. This kind of ship comes from kind of nowhere and attacks the Earth. In the Enterprise, Earth didn't get destroyed, but uh, just this the ship and then the way the Zindi ship was, it felt a little, eh, reminded me a little bit 
of it. Also, too, I guess, again, if we're talking about um, planets getting blown up, also, too, reminded me a little bit of Star Trek 2009, where, you know, the Romulans went and they uh, they destroyed or blew up. I shouldn't say the Romulans. I should say Nero went and, and blew up Vulcan. So kind of kind of the similar type things. Also, too, it kind of set up, you know, kind of um, what happened to the human race after Earth got destroyed. Basically, what we've seen of the human race is after Earth got destroyed is that um, everyone kind of fleed or evacuated Earth. And basically, there was there was no more planets. So everyone kind of um, just different colonies of, of humans um, kind of um were throughout the galaxy they're called kind of like drifter colonies because they had really no place to call home and unfortunately for the humans they aren't held in much regard very low regard um throughout the galaxy they seem to always get picked on and uh and no one thinks very much of the humans so kind of uh kind of interesting you know how the galaxy set up so next um after this scene is we kind of flash forward to 15 years and we're following kale now as he's a kind of a young man or young adult he's 20 years old and he's been working at a salvage yard it's a tough life and uh like say he doesn't seem to get a lot of respect from from the people he's working with and and it's just difficult and then he's got kind of this cocky attitude which gets him in himself into trouble and then we kind of run through where he gets himself into trouble and then a person from his past captain corso comes and he kind of helps him out gets uh, a couple of his uh, co-workers kind of off his back and then uh, Kale kind of rolls on and he, and he hooks up with his friend Tech and, and they're having dinner and then Corso comes along again, not really to um, Kale's uh, appreciation. He's just kind of hoping to you know, move on that uh, doesn't want anything to do with Corso, but Corso's got something important to tell him. Tech, I need to be scarce for a while. You don't know the half of it. Uh, Are you still bothering people? Hey, go away. <laughs> Great job with the kid, Tech. He's a charmer. Huh? I expected you to take him off my hands a lot sooner. Tech, hey, wait, who is this? You know him? Joseph Corso. I was with your father on the Titan Project. My father. I don't have a father. You brought this guy here? <laughs> yes. I don't understand. Why? You still got that ring your father gave you? Give it to me. Hey, give it back! Yeah. Ah. Ah. Here. Put it on. Hmm. <sighs> how did how did you It's a storage device. It's genetically encrypted to your father. And therefore, to you. It's a map, Gail. It can tell us where your father hid the Titan. That's why I've spent the last 15 years looking for you. That ship means everything. Humanity depends on you finding it. Me? <laughs> whoa, 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 me? No, no, no. I, I'm not tech. Let's... There must be someone better. It's time, Gail. It's time to stop running. Well, actually, I think it's time to start. Dredge? What do they want? They want you, kid. Same way I want you, only dead. 
How do you know they want me dead? So basically what Corso tells them is that, you know, your your father was in charge of this Titan project and that, you know, you need to kind of go and you need to help find uh, the Titan because humanity's kind of really depending on you. And basically, uh, he also explains how um, Kale's father gave him this ring and this ring was able to kind of trigger this map which uh, was based off of DNA and basically Kale's got this map that he can uh, he can uh, determine where where the Titan is hiding. Also, too, right at the end of the uh, of the uh, kind of the scene there, the Dredge come and the Dredge are like kind of the main villains in the series. Like say they blew up the Earth and they're looking for Kale now because they don't want Kale to be able to find the Titan because they they tried to destroy the Titan the first time blowing up Earth and if Kale found the Titan, uh, you know, like say that's just something that they don't want to happen. So basically. Then Corso and, and Kale got a high tie out of the space station. Fortunately, Corso's got a spaceship he can uh, take them on. And he's got a crew and, and they're going to use the ship to um, go and, and find, the, uh, find the Titan. So anyways, uh, so they have a kind of a thrilling escape from the space station. And then uh, they, they dock on Corso's ship. Kale meets the rest of the crew. And this is where he meets Akima. Uh, who's kind of the female lead in the show. And uh, naturally, Kale takes a liking to Akima. Akima, she doesn't really feel the same way about Kale. She's kind of a tough, tough lady. And, she, you know, she doesn't have the same kind of um, feelings that Kale does. Kale seems to be, like, really smitten with uh, Akima. Akima, not so much. Anyways, it leads to, you know, a few funny or kind of fun scenes throughout the uh throughout the show or even the first part of the uh the movie anyways the next scene is uh is kind of a nice scene between corso and and kale and they're just kind of talking about um kind of what's next now that they're on the ship and, and kind of how important it is um, um for the titan what's on seshereem anyway the gal an ancient race great this isn't a joyride, kid. When the dredge destroyed Earth, they figured life adrift in space would break us down, wipe us out. Do you really want those vile creatures to be right? Just lay down and die? <laughs> a little late. About 15 years too late to save the humans. But it's not like we didn't have a good run. It's not about a good run. It's about our survival. See, the Titan was truly visionary. Most advanced ship in the universe. That ship has the power to reunite the human race. To give us a home. And the only way to find it is in your hand. So you're really counting on me then? We all are. Well, if I don't like the way things are going, I'll show you how much like my father I really am. I'll leave. So basically now it's it's kind of set up that they they need to go to this planet and they need to meet up with this kind of uh, this um this alien race called the ghoul or gaul and, and basically the, what these these this race which are kind of um vulture or bat like looking um characters they'll be able to help interpret the map and tell the crew where they can go to find the titan. 
So anyways, um, we kind of follow the, the crew as they, they travel to through the planet. It's really cool looking planet as well. Once they get there, it's, it's kind of this water world, but then it's got all these kind of what they call helium trees uh, on them. And, and then the, the race, they're all kind of like, say, they're kind of this bird-like type kind of race. So anyways, they go there and they're able to kind of um, get some more information out of the map and tell them where to go to find to find the the uh, Titan, which is apparently in in something called the Anduli Nebula, which is is this kind of area which is surrounded by a bunch of huge ice crystals. But anyways, just to, as they're ready to kind of leave, the Dredge show up, and the Dredge are uh, looking to cause some more havoc. And there's uh, some great great sequences in here, uh, you know, some great chase sequences um, between the crew and the Dredge as they're attacking the planet and. Uh, they're flying through all these kind of helium trees and have to be careful because they don't want to hit them, cause explosions. But at the end of the day, the dredge are able to capture both Kale and Akima. And so now they've got Kale and they've got access to the map. The next um, kind of clip I'm going to play here is um, is a little discussion between Kale and Akima while they're captured and, and sitting in, in, as prisoners on the on the dredge ship and just the Kima kind of talking about, um, you know, about Earth and why it's so important. They're going to use you to figure out where the Titan is. Probably just blow it up too when they find it. Yeah, well, who's to say it would have worked anyway? Who's to say it won't? Maybe Corso will get to the Titan first. Why do you care so much about that thing? I was raised around people. Drifter colony bums, I believe is the term. I barely remember Earth, but the older ones used to tell us about it, so it would never be completely lost. No matter how hard things got, and they were hard, those memories kept us going. Once we had a home. The Titan is our chance to find one again. I guess that's how I ended up here. What are they afraid of? So what did the human race ever do to the dredge? It's not what we did. Hmm. They're afraid of what we might become. Yeah, well, looks like we're becoming extinct. So after the uh, the dredge kind of um, decide uh, what they're going to do is... They've really got no use for Akima, so they're just going to dump her off on, on a spaceport or, or in a space pod or something like that because they're just not interested. I'm a little surprised that uh, that they even bother. I thought they would have just, you know, offed her, I guess, but uh, they didn't. Uh, I guess good so that they didn't. And then they went and they, you know, they're able to get the details from Kale off, off his hand from the map. So they've got a kind of a good idea as well where the... The Titan is resting. Kale is able to kind of figure out how to kind of escape from the uh, the dredge ship. And uh, so anyways, he kind of commandeers himself, uh, like say a dredge ship, and, and he takes off to, to search for Corso and his crew, uh, you know, so they can uh, get back on, on their way to, to find the... Um, the Titan and continue on with, you know, kind of their mission there, you know, so Kale's able to get reunited with uh, Corso's crew, but also Kima is also as well. They able, they're able to find her on some space station. She was being sold off to um, um, some alien species. So uh, 
Like say, so they are fortunately able to kind of um, save her, though Akima didn't really need saving as it looked like she was able to take her captors out. So, so it was a, like a little bit funny. It, it, again, it showed Akima as being kind of a this tough, no nonsense girl. It was like say it's kind of a fun scene to see. Anyway, so they decide now that they've got Kale and they've got Akima back that before they go and they track down the uh, Titan that they kind of need to get some supplies and, and kind of just get ready for the mission, maybe repair the ship a little bit as well. So they head off to like kind of um, a drifter colony, a human drifter colony to get supplies. Uh, and it's called New Bangkok. So they dock at the at the drifter colony. And then what happens is uh, kind of a twist in this uh, show. And I'm just going to um, play that uh, clip right now. At least they don't jump you off your place. <laughs> Game. Did you forget the plan? I get you the Titan. I get rich. We had a deal, right? How dare you try to cut me out like that? <laughs> yeah? Do as you please, and guess what? You'll retrieve nothing. You don't have the whole map. The kid's got it. And I've got the kid. So you keep your drones off my back. Or so help me. I'll rip his heart out. Come on. Going somewhere? What would I thought? Two little birdies itchy to fly. How long were they standing there? Long enough. You lied. Everything you said? Everything you told me? Not everything. Your father hit a ship, then the dredge killed him. All because he couldn't face the truth. Yeah? What is the truth? That the human race is out of gas. It's circling the drain. It's finished. The only thing that matters is grabbing what you can before somebody else beats you to it. No. I don't believe that. Then you're even more like your father than I thought. A fool. So basically what happens is that Kale and Akima discover that they've been double-crossed by Corso. He's not really interested in finding the Titan to save humanity. He's more interested in kind of just uh, finding it for the dredge and just he's got to deal with the dredge. Obviously, it's just going to work out in his in his favor. He, he doesn't really think there's much hope, I guess, for the humanity. No real reason i guess he's it's just guys been beaten down you know he's seen his his uh planet been destroyed and like say just you know what i'm just kind of out best for myself almost kind of a bit of um a han solo type kind of uh vibe to him though han solo uh, never really um was was that bad but uh kind of this guy like i'm just a renegade guy so it's a little bit of a caught me off guard when i originally saw this movie because for the first half of this movie this Corso seems so committed to finding the Titan and, and how it would help humanity and all that. And then to find out that, uh, you know, he, he was really just working for the dredge in the end was was a bit of a shock. So anyways, uh, Akima and uh, Kale, they escape from the ship. Uh, Akima's hurt. And then um, Corso and his crew take off because they're, they're going to go and find the Titan now since they've, they've got all the, the information on where, where it is and all that. So Akima and Kale, they are on the... Uh, on the drifter colony in new bangkok and and they're going to get uh, akima you know she got shot so she has to get nursed back to health and then they decide that you know what 
they're going to go and they're going to complete the mission. They're going to find Titan and they're going to, you know, you know, save humanity. So anyways, I guess there's an old broken down ship on the, um, on the space station or the drifter colony and they decide to fix it up. So they go through some scenes where they're fixing up this old ship and, you know, all the, the drifter colony people are all, pull, all pulling together and they're all getting the ship fixed up. And then Akima kind of explains to Kale how important it is that they find Titan and they kind of restore humanity because they're going through the ship and they're seeing all these, you know, humans and, you know, they, they got all these hopes for earth or, or, you know, a new earth and all that. And, Kale kind of comes around from, you know, kind of his negative attitude before to see, you know, how important it is now to kind of save humanity. Hey, Sleeping Beauty. How long was I out? Not long. A few hours. Corso and Preet, I can't believe it. How long before they reach the Titan? They won't. We're going to beat them to it. Akima, we're going to stop them. Was I seriously injured back there or something? Because, funny, I, I thought you just said we're going to stop them. That's right. Kale, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's just the two of us, and, oh, yeah, we don't have a ship. Oh, we've got a ship. Really? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see this ship. Check it out. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. She's in a great house, but I don't think she'll fly. Well, she's still got her ionic vacuum drive. Those never drain. This thing's a wreck. I can fix it, but do you think... <laughs> don't worry, I can fly it. Good, because we launched yesterday. So Kale and Akima, they're, they're traveling to find the Titan now, and they're going to the Andali Nebula, which is where... Uh, where that alien race had told them before that the the Titan was held, and it's a really kind of cool looking um, place that they kind of wind up there. It's got all these huge giant ice crystals, and they they're all kind of floating around. It kind of reminds me uh, a lot of like Empire Strikes Back with the kind of the asteroid fields, but these are just like these huge ice crystals, which kind of, and they have to fly their ships kind of like around uh, the crystals, just like they flew flew the ships in. Um, Empire Strikes Back around the asteroids and I have to say this this part of the the movie had some of the nicest visuals I saw just really nice really nice sound you really got the feeling that you're kind of in this big giant ice field anyways Kale and Akima they're they're looking for the the Titan AE and then um Corso and his crew come along and Corso of course he wants to find Titan you know so he can give it to the dredge so he's trying to uh, stop Kale, and they're kind of working themselves through the um, ice field. It's kind of cool. There's all these kind of reflections, so they, you know, neither really knows where each other's ship is and all that because there are all these reflections. So they go, "No, they're there. No, they're there." It's it's really a really nice, nice kind of scene. And then finally, Kale and Akima, they're kind of able to give Corso and his crew uh, kind of a slip, and and they find the they find the Titan, and they kind of board it, and and they find. Um, they kind of find out the real reason for the Titan. That's it. 
ever seen anything like it? Once. What exactly are we looking for? This ship's gonna help us save mankind. What exactly are we looking for? Not a clue. <laughs> DNA coding. Mammal. Terciops truncatus. The bottlenose dolphin. These are animals. Or, or they will be. Leopard? Papilioglaucus? Swallowtail butterfly. It's all here. Kale? I'm over here. <laughs> Look at this. Dad. So the real kind of reason for the Titan and why it's so important is that it holds the, um, kind of the DNA for kind of Earth. It's got a whole bunch of DNA for all the plants and all the animals. And with it, uh, if they activate it, they'll be able to kind of create a new Earth like the Earth they had before. So that's why it's so important. And I guess that's why the um, Dredge just want to destroy it because they don't really want the, the human race to, to kind of propagate or keep going you know they're 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 just worried of them, scared of them. They don't know, they don't want you know more human humans in in the galaxy. I guess they they I guess they fear what what humans can become. What happens next is kind of an interesting uh, kind of scene, and I think uh, this scene is is another kind of good scene. It kind of uh, is a kind of a transition scene because. Because we go from, you know, Kale gets on the ship, Kale and Kima get on the ship, and then Kale finds a recording from his father. So it's a real touching uh, touching scene, but it also kind of explains a bit more about um, the predicament that they're in. And then, got another kind of uh, twist here. Dad? If this message has been activated, then I have died before finding you. I hope you can forgive me for breaking my promise to see you again. What I wouldn't give to see you now. I can't change the past, Kale, but I hope I can give you a future. This ship has the power to create a planet. To create a new home. Your ring would have activated the transformation sequence. But the Titan's power cells were drained in the escape. They are unable to fuel the transformation. It is up to you to restore their power. After that, the procedure is simple. He always did talk too much. Uh, uh, uh. Corso, don't do this. 
This ship is all we have left. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Sorry, kid. World blowing up changes a man. Look, the See, dredge... you can't beat the dredge. No one can. They're pure energy. Face it, Cal. You've lost. Actually, you all have to. Captain, if you'll relieve yourself of your firearm... Backstabbing. Well, I learned from the best. But it wasn't just the money the dredge were offering. It was the health plan that came with it. They let me live, provided I kill all of you before they get here. They should be here shortly. So the next kind of twist is uh, is that um, Corso he you know he double crossed uh, Kale and Akima, but now he's been double crossed himself in that his first mate Preed is also working for the for the Dredge and what what Preed wanted to do was just uh, off all of them so that uh, you know he can get some money and all that kind of stuff and uh, you know. So he he wanted to he was working for the dredge. Corso's working for the dredge. So the dredge have got a, a few different guys working there. Corso takes out um, Preed in the end, but also too we kind of find out more about the about the Titan and about uh, you know how how Kale's father was was kind of he was sad to leave um, Kale and wasn't able to kind of finish what he wanted to start. But also too he let him know that when them. Know, when the dredge attacked Earth, that he had to move the Titan to, to the secure spot and no longer had an energy source, and they need to kind of figure out how to um, how to get that uh, energized again, so that you know that they can actually get the the Titan to actually maybe create a new Earth. What happens next, af- as well too, is um, after this scene, you know, after like um, you know, kind of Corso kills off Preed. Uh, then uh, Kale and uh, Corso get in a fight because Corso is still he's still working for the Dredge and uh, you know he you know so he he wants to get that ring from uh, from Kale so that uh, he can't activate the activate the Titan so they fight and um, basically Corso he gets knocked off um, off off the side of a ledge but he doesn't die he falls and he um, you know he kind of grabs onto some wire but he doesn't die uh, so. So, anyways, Kale goes back and he's di- discovered what what they need to actually do. You okay? Yeah. Stay right here. Right here is about to be blown apart. This could be a good thing. Come on, Kale. Wait, wait. We can make this work. What did Corso say about the dredge? That you can't beat them. Right, because they're pure energy. If I can reroute the system to use dredge energy, that would start the reactor. The energy relays are linked to these circuit breakers, so this should do it. Are you sure this will work? <laughs> the power that the dredge have is what they they really need, and what they're going to do is uh, they're kind of going to uh, you know use use the dredge's power to power up the Titan and maybe basically uh, 
kill two birds with one stone in one sense they need to power up the titan and the other thing they they you know they need to, to get rid of the the dredge you know because the dredge is you know trying to stop them and uh you know they got to find some way to protect themselves anyway so they try and and um and kind of get the ship kind of all kind of powered up but uh the problem is is uh some of the circuit breakers are not working so what Kale decides to do is he's going to go and he's going to um, he's going to kind of fix that broken um, circuit breaker, which means he has to go out out into space. But their problem as well too is that Dredge have now found the ship and they're attacking as well too. So he's got to be very careful. So he goes out there and he's going to fix the the broken circuit breaker and he runs into Corso. So he's going like, "Well, you got me, Corso. You know, take your best shot." But Corso kind of tells him that. He's had a change of heart and that he wants to help out. So Kale and Corso, they go and uh, and Corso kind of helping Kale kind of, um, you know, kind of shooting off uh, the dredge as they're attacking. Uh, and then they get down to the area where they have to fix the circuit breaker and Kale can't seem to do it. So basically what Corso tells him to do is is he's got to go back. He needs to activate, you know, the Titan and that Corso is going to take care of... Um, take care of fixing the breaker so basically in the end corso sacrifices himself so they can get the titan activated so anyways kale gets back he gets the ring uh they're getting the energy from from the uh the dredge as they're kind of like um shooting energy at the titan trying to destroy it and basically they're able to kind of uh, activate the you know the the circuit breakers and get get the titan kind of uh, powered up and in the meantime you know they shoot the, the kind of energy back at at the dredge and they destroy the dredge ship so yay the enemies are all destroyed and then the titan is able to be activated and then the kind of the big scene right near the end is that it it, it activates and it creates itself a new kind of earth and uh, exactly what they want to do so a new earth is is kind of created and uh, the end of the movie comes and uh, this last scene is kind of basically a uh, Kale and Akima talking on the planet, um, you know, now that Earth is uh, is created and kind of a little fun scene here, but also too kind of heartwarming. They, they show some scenes of, um, you know, all the kind of drifter colonies coming towards this new Earth because now there's a new place for um, humans to habitate now that they've got kind of got their planet back. What are you going to call it? I think I'll call it... Bob. Bob? You don't like Bob? <laughs> you can't call a planet Bob. Oh, so now you're the boss. You're the king of Bob. <laughs> well, no. But... What? Can't you just call it Earth? Well, no one said you had to live on Bob. I'm never... So that was kind of my uh, my kind of summary of uh, Titan AE. I'm just going to take a, a quick uh, quick little break here, and then I'm going to come back and kind of just give some uh, kind of follow up thoughts on on the movie. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, how it was received and a, a few other things like the soundtrack and and all that kind of stuff. Hello, everybody. This is Will. 
and I wanted to make a comment on Titan AE. First off, I want to thank Jedi Jeff for covering such a fantastic movie. I'm sure it will be an awesome podcast. I have this movie on DVD, but I ended up watching it in HD on Netflix. I saw it was on there, so I just went ahead and watched it that way, and I was really glad I did, because the graphics were amazing. The movie starts off with Kale and his father going to the spaceships. And we see Kale watching the Titan taking off. And then the scene with the Earth being attacked and destroyed was amazing. Then, when it hit the moon, wow. The animation in this movie was awesome throughout. The Dredge were a very unique alien, and I don't recall another alien like this in any type of sci-fi movie or show. Very evil looking, and their ship was awesome. Of course, we go to 15 years later. A couple of funny moments I really enjoyed was when Kale threw the handkerchief onto the alien that he was fighting after he blew his nose in it. I like that. Another one of them was when Preed said, I weep for this species, referring to Kale being the last hope for mankind. A part I found to be quite good was when they were on the one planet with the bird-like aliens. I don't recall the names for either. One of the aliens grabbed Akima and threw her to another bird alien as he fell into the hydrogen bubble, sacrificing himself for her. I just thought that was a really good part in the movie. The dread ship was something that reminded me of the ship from Independence Day and as far as the interior being so massive. Of course, the exterior was completely different, but very cool looking in HD. The new Bangkok scene was good. It was a pretty cool place. And I liked the older sister talking to Kale about her little brother pretending to play his soccer on grass. I like that was a good scene and enjoyed it. The ice scenes were also very cool and well done. And of course, that's where they find the Titan. And when they, for lack of a better term, turned it on, wow and awesome. The new Earth was very cool, and it was cool to see the different land masses. Now to probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. When they are showing the ships coming to New Earth, and they show that kid from New Bangkok looking out the window holding his soccer ball, wow, I got goosebumps. I actually got goosebumps just thinking about it. This movie is definitely in my top 20 favorites. I just really love this movie. I wish it had been done better when it came out. Thank you, Jedi Jeff, for covering this great movie. And everybody else, I hope you're having a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Will, for the great comments. You brought up some really great points that I didn't really cover in my review of the movie, especially the uh, scenes about uh, around New Bangkok. I, I thought you uh, really touched on it great. I, I was actually going to mention it, but I didn't. Uh, you know, kind of the scenes between um, Kale and that girl and her and her brother and the soccer, it was really heartwarming and really just brought in, uh, you know, that real human element and why Earth was so important. And then, like you said, right near the end of the um, movie, when they showed the ships from uh, New Bangkok with all the kind of refugees or drifters, I guess, uh, coming to this new Earth, it it was kind of uh, real touching. And uh, I, I must admit, I got a little verklempt as well, possibly, just looking at that little shot of that boy looking so excited to get to get to the new earth so he, he can kick around his soccer ball. It was just uh, a great, great scene and a uh, great sequence. And thanks for bringing it up. Also, thanks for kind of uh, correcting me a little bit because earlier in the podcast, I was talking about that planet that uh, Kale and Corso and Akima went to to kind of get that aliens to read the map. And I was calling them uh, helium uh, bubbles or whatever, but it's actually hydrogen bubbles. So uh, like Will said, um, that's kind of what... Um, 
those kind of trees are. They're kind of these high hydrogen bubbles or balloons. And I said helium, so I was a little incorrect there. But uh, thanks for uh, Will's comment and uh, catching that. Uh, great, great comments, Will. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, send in your comments on this movie. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, this is also in my... Uh, my top uh, list of movies is just a great, great movie. A few more notes about Titan AE. Like I noted, it, it came out in the year 2000, but unfortunately it kind of came out to mixed reviews. Some reviewers liked it, other reviewers didn't like it. I, I guess that's kind of typical of, of movies like this. It doesn't seem like, you know, kind of science fiction based movies ever seem to really grab uh, reviewers' attention. It, it seems like they always seem to come out to mixed reviews for for whatever reason. Looking on uh, the Rotten Tomatoes site, it had a, a rating of 51%, which was um, yeah, pretty much down the, down the middle. I, I guess uh, it would probably almost be viewed as a, a negative. Audience rated it a bit higher at 59%. Uh, I still think that's a little bit low, personally. Maybe I'm looking at it with a little bit of rose-colored glasses, possibly. But uh, just I think this movie is a lot better than, than it was rated. Looking at some of the key um, reviewers, uh, Roger Ebert actually really actually liked this movie quite a bit and he rated it a 3.5 out of 4 stars, so he really enjoyed it. And I kind of picked up with one kind of comment from Roger Ebert on, on the movie. Creates the kind of feelings I had as a teenager, paging eagerly through Asimov and Heinlein. There are moments when it even stirs a little awe. The movie is pure slam-bam space opera. It still could be transferred intact to the covers of an old issue of Amazing Stories. Yet it has a largeness of spirit that good sci-fi can generate. It isn't just an action and warfare, but it's also a play of ideas. So that was a nice kind of statement from Roger Ebert. Personally, I usually find when Roger Ebert reviews movies, uh, more often than not, I, I kind of agree with him. Uh, I, I think he comes from it with, um, you know, kind of a everyday type person um, perspective on it. Another thing which was kind of a bit of a, a strike to this movie was that, unfortunately, it, it was a bomb, unfortunately. It cost them $75 million to make. And unfortunately, they only got $36 million back. So it's it's kind of uh, known as one of the kind of the big failures in, um, in movie history. And it kind of comes down to, I think, marketing a bit. And it wasn't really marketed properly. I recall uh, reading back in the day that Fox had really high hopes for this movie. And I think they were kind of looking at this movie as kind of, um, kind of starting off kind of maybe um, kind of a whole animation type studio or kind of competition towards some of the other big animators like Disney. And this movie kind of, uh, like I said, unfortunately it, it, it fell and didn't, didn't make uh, what they were hoping it to be and, and kind, of, kind of closed down that initiative. Like, like I was saying uh, from what I was reading, it sounds like it wasn't really marketed maybe properly. It sounded like they're a little confused on, on their target audience. And I think the filmmakers were thinking this was more of an adult um, type uh, adventure and maybe the marketers were thinking it was a little bit more of um, you know children's um, uh, type fair so I, I think when they marketed it, it kind of came out and I think uh, maybe audiences were a little confused on, on what to expect so I, I think that's probably one of the main reasons that uh, 
that the movie didn't do very well. And unfortunately, they said as well, too, that kind of the way they wrote it as well, too, was uh, some of the supporting characters kind of came off more childlike or something you'd see more in a in a children's type movie than than more of a adult type movie. So I I think that was unfortunate. I think if people went and saw this movie, uh, they would have really enjoyed it and, and probably would have done much better. But um, like, say, if you're just going off what you've seen on TV for commercials, and you're kind of confused on it. I've, I've found with science fiction over the years that uh, if there's any kind of vagueness or ambiguity on, on what the movie's about, then audiences are kind of going to stay away from it. I think this kind of um, almost kind of shadows what we're seeing right now with the um, recent release of the movie John Carter. Because John Carter was this big production by Disney, and uh, it was a good movie. I went and saw it. I really enjoyed it. But uh, apparently it, it's really fallen flat at the box office. I think, again, this is something where maybe they've, they've marketed it, but the audiences don't really know what it's about. So they're staying away from it. I think that's what happened here as well for, for Titan AE was just the way it was marketed. And in the end, you know, you know the audiences just didn't really understand uh, what they're going to see. So they just didn't want to take a gamble on it. And unfortunately, you know, the movie just ended up not doing very well. Another kind of interesting note about Titan AE was it was one of the first or actually the first movie to take part in an end-to-end -end digital screening. And what this meant was uh, they kind of premiered this movie a few weeks before it kind of actually came out and they showed it on two screens in Atlanta and Los Angeles uh, at the same time and they actually broadcast it from a, a Fox uh, location uh, through a VPN. So that was kind of an interesting kind of a little note about the movie. I think that's about all I have to say about Titan AE. Um, again, just a, a few of my thoughts is I really enjoyed this movie. And uh, if you haven't seen this movie, I really encourage you to go kind of check it out. You can probably find it on DVD for a, a really good price. Uh, I suspect it wouldn't cost more than, you know, you know, 10 or $15 on DVD because it's been out for quite a while. And I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or not. Um, I don't have Netflix, so I can't really confirm. But uh, if you want to, you could probably go and check and see if it's there or not as well. But like I say, it's a movie I, I really encourage people to go check out because I, I think it's a, it's got a lot of good sequences, a lot of good animation. It's just a, a really nice, um, good movie. And like I say, it's just fun. Also, maybe I, I forgot here, but a little note about the uh, soundtrack as well. It kind of got a little bit of a different soundtrack than what you kind of associate with kind of space operas or, or kind of sci-fi type movies. It's, it's got more of a modern type uh, soundtrack to it. They've got all this kind of edgy type kind of uh, rock music and techno music and uh, kind of alternative and industrial mu music from kind of some bands uh, which are kind of popular back um, back in that day or not overly popular but kind of popular in that kind of um, edgy type rock scene like Bands such as Lit and Electricity and uh, Lucius Jackson and Power Man 5000. Not bands that I'm overly familiar with, but uh, like say it, all the songs kind of all kind of uh, kind of fit together, and you get that kind of real idea that's kind of just this edgy type kind of music, and uh, you know it's got um, kind of fast beats and really kind of keeps things going. Next up, I'm going to do a little quick short collectible review. I, Thought maybe I'd, I'd slip one in right here at the end of the podcast, uh, just uh, you know, because I always enjoy when Rico does uh, collectible reviews. So I thought I would do one. This is nothing uh, really uh, exciting or fancy, but uh, something interesting that I, I got uh, at Christmas. 
At Christmas, my uh, parents actually bought me this uh, really cool book called the Star Wars Character Encyclopedia. It's from Lego. It's really cool. It's got all these Lego characters in there. Apparently, um, 300 minifigs. And it's got descriptions of all these little uh, minifigs. So it's almost owning the figure, but I don't actually have to own the figure because uh, it's got a write-up on all the different figures and, and little interesting tidbits. I'll just give you maybe a description of one of the, the figures in the book. So I'll just pick a page here by random. And we're looking at what we called here the Elite Assassin Droid Villain for Hire. And this is uh, based off the uh, Clone Wars. So this is kind of, um, it's a pre kind of IG-88. This is, uh, you know, kind of the model which kind of came out before him. And uh, like say, this is... Um, it's a kind of a kind of that long type kind of uh, cylinder type kind of um, droid. It came. They tell us well where did this uh, droid come from? And it uh, came in the Bounty Hunter Assault Gunship set. The elite assassin droid joined Bounty Hunters Embo, Aurora Singh, and Suji on board the assault gunship. This villainous group are on the hunt for Jedi who they can capture and lock up in the ship's prison cell. Okay, and this is that's kind of the description, I guess, which uh, comes with the uh, with the Lego set here. And then they've got some other kind of uh, tidbits here. Uh, they got a little description here of of the Elite Assassin Droid. It says the Elite Assassin Droid is the best of the best. Encased in black armor, this skilled assassin can blend into shadows during a top secret mission. His tall, thin minifigure has appeared in three Lego sets since two thousand and nine always in the unsavory company of bounty hunters or other assassin droids. And then they've got a data file here. This one that they are showing came out in the set 7930 Bounty Hunter Assault Gunship. In the year 2011, there is eight pieces, equipment, blaster rifle, and there's only one variant of this one. Okay, and then they've got some other kind of interesting notes. Orange head sensor enabled the elite assassin droid to see all directions at once. And it's just a little orange um, little kind of um, piece for Lego. Conehead piece is unique to Assassin Droid in Lego Star Wars, so that's kind of interesting. This, is, this isn't this is a piece that they use in any other kind of Lego sets, just with this uh, droid. His body is covered with a blaster-proof armor. I guess that's more from a, you know, kind of a, a story concept, because I'm, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure you could probably... Uh, you know, break through that armor with uh, with with anything. You know, it's just a piece of Lego. Here's another one. Assassin Droid has the same torso piece as the Battle Droid midi figure and Rocket Droid Commander. So that's kind of interesting that the the kind of the main body is is kind of uh, seen in the uh, the Lego Battle Droid. And then also, a long range blaster rifle is perfect for carrying out assassinations without being detected. Again, more of a, a story uh, element. Anyways, this was uh, this is kind of a really interesting book. Like, say, it covers all the all the movies. So, episode one, two, three, four, five, and six. Also, this one, like, say, this figure is uh, this came out in a Clone Wars set. So, they also cover Clone Wars, and then they also indicate they cover EU as well. So. This is like a really cool book. Like like I say, you know, if you're kind of interested in the Lego minifigures, but you don't actually want to buy them, this book is probably perfect to have because, uh, like I say, it goes through all the different figures. It talks about variants. It tells talks about little facts, where, where you can get it, when it was released, if there's other versions of it. Just a great, great uh, book. Like I say, I... I like I, said, I'm kind of, I was kind of surprised when my parents gave it to me and I kind of looked at it and go, oh, okay, this is interesting. But when I actually really sat down and really looked through it, it was like, wow, this is a kind of a really cool book. 
and a lot of great detail. Kind of makes me wish that maybe um, like Hasbro or someone like that would um, would come out a book like this, uh, similar to this book, because it'd be interesting to kind of get some uh, history on some of the figures that they've come out as well. So this is just a, a great book with a lot of great detail. And if you're interested in the, the Lego minifig figures and a little bit more information about them, then you probably uh, would not be a bad idea to pick up this book. And also the other cool thing is that this book actually comes with its own exclusive uh, minifigure. It's a Han Solo minifigure, which uh, comes from uh, the, the original Star Wars movie. Right at the end of the movie, he's uh, receiving his, his medal. So I guess it's kind of the, uh, you know, the closing ceremonies Han receiving his kind of medal for uh, helping out the uh, Rebel Alliance and destroying the Death Star. So that's kind of cool. I'm not ever going to take the uh, figure out of the book because I, I feel it probably, um, you know, just make the book wouldn't look as nice and kind of have to rip it apart to get to the figure. But uh, kind of cool that they included this little figure with this book so highly encourage if you if again if you're into uh lego uh checking out this book because uh like I say it's got a lot of good information on these uh these figures anyways i think that's it for me i'm going to wrap things up and uh get out of here for the the week and uh hand the podcast back to rico again i'd like to thank rico for uh, giving me the opportunity to guest host this week and talk about titan ae i had a lot of good times uh looking through the movie again and, and kind of um, preparing my notes and all that for the podcast so uh, thanks Rico for uh, giving the opportunity to uh, to guest host uh, I really appreciate uh, uh, how how open you are with the podcast and allowing uh, everyone who listens to uh, participate in the podcast it's you know like say we've heard some great podcasts from yourself Rico and then also we've heard some other really great podcast lately so far this year you know like we've heard from uh, Joe with the battle tech and we heard from uh, meds with the brimstone and we heard from um, L and Brian with the the alien movie and we also heard from Dave with the uh, the Babylon 5 review as well too so it, it's kind of cool that you've kind of gone to um, you know off weeks and having uh, different people guest host and kind of getting a um, getting a, a different uh, perspective on um, on other people's view of uh, sci-fi so again Rico really appreciate uh, you know you being so open about uh, you know sharing the podcast with everyone else uh, so anyways I uh, probably should stop uh, rambling on and I'll just let you know that uh, the upcoming podcast for next week March 25th Rico will be covering uh, the first season episode of Enterprise called Sleeping Dogs so anyways that's it for me and everyone take care and uh, have a great weekend and great week